Special thanks to everyone who pledged money to crowdfund the show this week, including Matt Lacey, David Walker, Tim Edwards, Zilliko Elia, Andy Hagen, Jamie Holland, Roland Roberts, Ian Wilkinson, Alistair Harding, Dan Laney, Ian Mercer and John Balshaw. There's a full list of our supporters on 361podcast.com, along with information on how to help us for as little as $1 per episode via Patreon. Hello and welcome to 361, a weekly podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Ben Smith. I'm Rafe Blanford. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 14, Episode 9, and this week we're talking about Transformers. Ewan is clinging to the past with his insistence on laptops for children. And Ben wants to live in a tablet utopia. Welcome back, gents. How are you doing? Very well. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah. Hello, hello. Hi. Yeah, let's Episode do it. Episode nine. Nearly Make there. it happen. Make I it know. happen. I know. We, we must be nearing some anniversary. I'm, I need to check. We, we must be coming up to six years or seven years or eight or 20 years. Or I feel oh. like we've been doing this a long time as well. Oh. Just remember the beach. Remember that yeah. nice bit when, when Blamford was young. When you used to bring us nice places. Yeah. That's right. That was Ken, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. used to you used to bring us places. It was nice. Now you just go off on your own and Skype in. To tell us how it. How is Copenhagen, <laughs> your McLeod? Uh, it's getting brighter. You'll be pleased to hear. Excellent. Excellent. The, yeah. the, the Danish people are shielding their eyes from the fire in the yes, sky. Yes, they, they they are beginning to get excited. Dare I say, because spring is almost here. Wow, and excited Nordic people is a rare That's combination. Right. And how's your discovery of digital services and all the digital economy going in uh, Denmark? Yeah, it, it it is still painting. A little me. bit like the Sahara, is it? Uh, I'm having to use shops, and I'm having to use services. Like I needed to order some batteries for the um for the Arlo I was talking about uh, last uh, episode, and they're not very good at shipping batteries from the UK, right? They have thanks to our friends at Samsung. People believe they have a tendency to go bang. Exactly. That that's all stopped now, right? Yeah. So. I'm having to order them from, you know, batteriesareus.dk or the equivalent. Yeah. And it's just, it's really, really 1995. It's old shopping carts that don't work very well, you know, that kind of thing. I had to send a, a laptop by post the other week, actually, Ewan, and um, <laughs> I brought my laptop into the post office all boxed up and was filling out all the paperwork to ensure it and send it and everything. And right. the assistant said to me, uh, does it have a battery in it? And I said, no. Well, said, obviously. Well, well, yeah. actually, I, I goofed because I said no. And they said, well, what is it? It's a laptop. They said, well, they've got a battery in it, hasn't it? I said, oh, I thought you meant, like, is the parcel a battery? And yeah. she looked at me kind of, uh... So, anyway, yes. Hans We've like, got oh, another one, Jane. Yeah. We've got another one. <laughs> exactly. It's more... <laughs> I said, oh, you'll have to go to the counter because we need to do a special service. I thought, oh, dear. Uh, you know, like, I was just thinking ahead, like, I'm going to have to put it in a flame-proof box or something. Like, I'm going to need yeah. to do something really clever. But apparently, no. All you need to do is put a sticker on the outside of the box that says Jane, battery Jane, inside. Have you, have you got a sticker, Jane? Jane! <laughs> yeah. we, we need one of those fireproof sticker. stickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I queued up for 20 minutes what you mean. put a sticker on the outside of the box with a picture of a battery on it. Apparently that makes it safer. Fair play, Ben. You want to know which parcel's going to explode. Battery coming through. I'm very much enjoying your your very accurate depiction of my post office experience, young lad. So yeah, and um, I, I've actually got another one to share as well. Whilst whilst I'm oh, in the limelight, which again I know you'll you'll enjoy because you used to rave about trains. So mm, I know you're on. frustrated by the lack of perhaps digital services in Denmark. 
You remember that um, digital smart card train tickets has finally come to the UK? Yeah. And I think I yes. talked about this in a previous episode. And um, you know how sometimes we talk about when people adopt digital services, their expectations jump forward because they think, ah, this feels a bit like online banking, Facebook, Xbox, all these other things I know. I'm going to get this certain type of experience. So um, I had cause to make a a small change to my season ticket that I hold to go to and from work during the week. But it's a digital ticket, so this is easy. This is very something very simple to do. Four hours on the phone later, I finally spoke to someone who said, ah, yes, you can't change the digital tickets. No, they can't be changed. What we'll have to do is I'm going to convert your digital ticket to a paper ticket. Then I'm going to change the paper ticket. Then I'm going to convert it back to a digital ticket. Wow. Yeah. So I feel like... Did this involve printing something out? (laughs) Yeah. No, literally, he cancelled my digital ticket, printed a paper ticket, which he put on his desk, which he then did the maths to work out how much the change on the ticket that I needed was. Because basically I was changing the route I was travelling, but midway through the subscription. And Mm. what they do is they let you change it rather than cancel the ticket and then converted it back again. And I just, it's blown my mind that you could have gone to all of the effort of putting in electronic gates and distributing special card readers and having an online payment system and a special smart card and a top-up engine and blah, 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 blah. But actually servicing it is just as dumb as it ever was. So suffice it to say, you and Cloud, you're not necessarily missing (sighs) out on digital nirvana here in the UK. I was quite excited when they they said you could get these digital tickets. Mm. Yeah, move on. It's fine as long as you don't want to do anything complicated like use them or change them. Or do, mm. you know, do something like, I don't know, put a network rail card on them. Don't even get me started. There you go. So the Buy podcast, a Mars bar with it. Mm. Podcast, <laughs> podcast has started off with some complaining. Do you gentlemen have any news to share with us of a, How are of you a less blandy? negative nature? Well, How's your duck house? Uh, the duck house is doing very well. In fact, last weekend I had to row over to the island to retrieve... <laughs> <laughs> you don't help yourself. retrieve some goose eggs and i had very lovely goose scrambled eggs and for those that haven't had them they are very lovely and when you say for those that haven't had them you mean every single listener you can buy goose eggs in any good supermarket but uh, who normally gets the eggs well it just waited for me because i kind of got volunteered to go and do it because it has to be said, it's a lot less convenient when you have to cross water to go and get the eggs. Yes. It's, it's so certainly... don't they just produce eggs on a regular basis? I mean, forgive me for not being that aware Yes, they, they lay them every other day. They generally start about Valentine's Day. And yeah. domestic geese aren't the most intelligent creatures in the world. So they yeah. tend to keep on laying until they've got more and more eggs. And then if you take them away, you can then either eat them or then put them back later when they decide to start sitting. There we go. So one of the operations I will be doing at a future date is going over saying hello to the goose and then sticking your eggs back under it in order for them to hatch out. Can you so, stick it in our little camera there? I could do. I hadn't actually thought about that, but yes, that could be a very Especially with your super fast Arlo. internet. I would probably need to get a boost for the uh, Wi-Fi signal, but yes, I'll consider that. I've spotted mm. a problem, Rash Blanford. You have a duck house. Yes. In your duck house, you have geese. Yep. Is it not a geese house? I think it's one of those things where you can have multiple tenants. I think Rafe Blanford is the uh, the peasant landlord again. He's trying to cram too many people into his, <laughs> his properties. You know what's really depressing? Spent all that time getting this duck house out to the island, put some straw in it, and then they went and nested in the other corner. 
Oh, dear, Ray Blavid. I would say hashtag first world problems, but there's something more than first world problems because this isn't a first world problem. This is hashtag Blavid estate I really don't want people to get the wrong idea about me, but I think that ship has probably sailed now, No, I think probably describing how you row across your pond to collect the fresh geese eggs from your duck house probably paints the picture that everyone needs. I'll just point out that I do actually live in London. This is when I'm visiting my parents, so it's not quite as bad as it's okay it is. Yeah, it is exactly as it sounds. So any product services, things you want to share with us before we get on with today's show? Well, I mentioned that I'd got a a 360 camera and that I took it to MWC with me. Rather frustrating. I didn't quite use it as much as I intended to to grab some material, but I have subsequently had a a play around with it. And I actually think there's something to be said for this 360 content because actually Mm. a way of sharing where you've been on holiday, you can put it in cardboard or some VR thing, but actually now there are so many online services that support it. and actually. The Facebook content that you see where there's a 360 picture or a bit of video, actually, I think is quite engaging. And the fact that you can now do this with a a device that's a couple of hundred pounds, and I saw a few more of them at the show that we talked about last week, Duroptic just fits on top of your iPhone. It's kind of a bit like the lenses that you can get, but I, I think this shows rather more promise. And, you know, this idea of, you know, surroundings, it seems to be the in word to describe it, but actually, you know, doing that kind of immersive capture. Yeah, kind of interesting. And so... Well, you're not going to have one on your head. I decided that perhaps wouldn't be conducive to people taking me seriously. I think that was a smart decision. I was looking forward to that. But I was pleasantly surprised because I thought it would be a bit of a gimmick. But it's one of those things that you have sitting on your desk. Everyone wants to know what it is and wants to have a quick play with it. And it's just sort of quite taken. And watching people then looking at the photos, particularly on VR headset, you know, a lot of VR content people just don't really respond to. But when they're in it, when they see their office or their home or their friends sitting around the table, suddenly you go, oh, yeah, I, I, I kind of understand this. I, I start to get it. And that was quite an interesting moment for me. So that's been my sort of interesting gadget revelation of the, the last few weeks. So talking of new gadgets, you and McLeod, mm. what were you waving in front of the camera before we started the recording? <laughs> yeah, look at that. There you go. That's some fine Microsoft hardware you've got there. So this is a, you, a surface. This is a, a Microsoft surface. surface. Let me put it back gently. Um, and I'm I'm quite enjoying it. I'm in, uh, but I'm having to learn how to use Windows again. Right. I'm sorry for your loss. Well, like um, most people listening to this, if you work for a big corporation, you use Windows Seven. Is that right? Is that you know? Is that yeah. accurate? From most corporations, it's Windows Seven. XP in some of the places I've just come. Well, from, and, uh, yeah, XP, Windows Seven, or 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 so. And you're very lucky if you get Windows 10. So this device is Windows 10. And I know how to use Windows 7, right? With Office. Oh, what Office is it? You know, the, the generic Office. Some companies have a semi-latest version. No one has 2016 or, or 365 typically. But yeah, it's only some very forward-looking organizations that have it. So I've been trying out the Surface and it's, it's very cool. I'm really quite enjoying it, but I'm having to learn all the quirks and all the, the, the new ways that Windows is good and isn't. Am I allowed to mock you? And please proceed with the mocking. Go on then. What, for what's I mean, that? The surface that's you know a bit out of date. I mean, I've had one for the last two years. That Fair was enough. a real zinger, Rafe. We'll, 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 <laughs> I, I really we'll feel mocked. Yeah. So, yeah. so the interesting <laughs> thing for me here, it's a transformer device, and what we mean by that is basically it's got a detachable keyboard. And of all of these devices, actually the technology is such that it's shrunk down that you can get all the electronics that you typically had in a laptop or a desktop PC in that thinner form factor and then have some kind of keyboard that you detach. Mm. Has that changed the way you use it as a device? Because it's definitely, in appearances, 
blurred well, that line between laptop and tablet. The good news is it does feel nice to use. It is a pleasure to use as opposed to the standard Lenovo or whatever you know, Fujitsu your organization tends to give you. The pen is, is quite nice. It, it does the, the writing, is, uh, the drawing is pleasurable. I've been taking notes. I did use it as a tablet a couple of times. The keyboard it is a bit bendy when you're typing on it, but it does make me feel good when I'm using it. A bit bendy is not a characteristic I'm really necessarily looking for in my No, in my but it, gi- it gives. It gives a little bit. It's just because of the way I, I'm choosing to use it, right? So you can, you can have it up a little bit. See, it's like, um, don't know, right? you can it's either have it flat hinge, yeah. or you can have it on a slight hinge. I quite like how that feels. But also, touchscreen's good should, as well, right? So I mean, should should we point out that that's actually significantly thinner than a typical Windows laptop? And so does it speak towards the importance of hardware for you in terms of that's part of the pleasantness of that experience? Well, I want, I want to get yeah. to the hypothesis of the show and then let's, let's, okay, let's right, expand out a bit. Okay. So, so Ewan has a Surface. This is not necessarily news. Other people have Surfaces as well. But we haven't talked for ages on the podcast about mm the kind of mobile tech, the sit-down desktop do Actual work mobile tech. mobile tech. And yeah. I keep hearing on other podcasts and from all the people who with, with the beards and the, the trendy shirts and things that <laughs> I should be using an iPad to work. This is the new way forward. These are the new tools of the future. And that just launched. Using a laptop is, you know, for, for old people mm. and, you know, the way of the dinosaur. And I'm kind of a bit anxious, actually, because despite the availability of all of these transformer devices and despite having a keyboard for my iPad and having the option to go out and buy a Surface, I'm still finding myself very, very reliant on a, on a traditional laptop. And I'm really yeah. intrigued to see how you guys are getting on with the kind of work you need to do and the devices yeah. you need to use it, but also what we reckon about what's going to be successful because I feel like there's a change in mood, but I don't see a change in function to go along with it. And I think we should tie yeah. something else into that, and that's actually the re-emergence of Windows as a serious contender, particularly when you think about Windows 10 and then being compared to the way that Mac OS is being talked about and people are saying it's being underinvested in. And for me, that's also part of this change. And it's this idea that Windows works across everything from that kind of tablet up to that desktop space and actually seems to do it quite well. If we'd had that discussion, mm. you know, three or four years ago, people wouldn't have taken us very seriously. So that's maybe the second point we should come to later in the show. So go on, McLeod. Tell us how you've arrived at using a Surface. What's the backstory? It is, it's a pilot device that we're playing with. And bluntly, I think it's easier in a big organization to use a Microsoft device, right? Just because of all the, the standard procedures, like the VPN and all the various different services that the company depends on for lots of good sensible reasons they all do work on a windows device typically but then again the minute i plug back into using windows i'm having to get into this subnet command line stuff because the it's a a pilot device right so it's not supported it's i'm just just playing with it just testing it so let me chime in then with with some experience of an organization that i worked at recently where they rolled out surfaces for the same reason they know they're small they're light they're convenient and they're a Windows shop as well. And I said there, I thought, wow, they're living in the future. This is properly, they're rolling out tablets. This is going to change the way people work. Mm. This coincided with 
lots of sort of open plan seating areas and changing the office space. And you're thinking this is going to be- Colourful chairs. Yeah, colourful chairs and beanbags. And this is going to be informal working. Right in the wall. <laughs> People are going to have trendy glasses and we're all going to wear jeans to work. It's going mm-hmm. to be very exciting. You know, trainers everywhere in the office, you know, no suits to be seen. I was you know, quite sad about that. <laughs> and I thought, particularly because this is quite a conservative organisation, I thought this was going to be really transformative. And I suppose maybe in the way it could be if, if the bank, you know, if your bank adopts them as well. But then I just watched people use them like laptops all the yeah. time, you know, mm-hmm. with a keyboard plugged in. And the only difference between the laptop they had on Friday and the surface the, that they were given on Monday was that it was slightly lighter. Yes, because the interesting thing is you give people these new devices and then you say, by the way, you've got to use Outlook and you've got to use the, the older version because we don't support, you know, d- despite billions of other people or millions and hundreds of millions of people using it perfectly fine, we don't support it. And we haven't tested it. I get quite, quite I annoyed it, at these things. If we're perhaps missing the point here, because my experience with Surface has been, I absolutely use it as I would have done a traditional laptop in the scenarios that I'd have always used a laptop in. But then I also use it, it's a more portable device, and that is actually about the lightness. So it goes with me on occasions when previously I might have left a laptop behind. But actually probably most crucially, there are times when I use it in tablet mode, and that's particularly when I'm doing handwriting recognition or doing some content consumption. And it can often be in planes, for example, or trains. Uh, you get more comfortable, and actually it just means you end up, it's either working or being entertained or whatever you're using that device for. And so I don't think it should be a revelation that people use them as laptops. And actually, you do end up compromising a bit. I mean, you talked about a bendy keyboard. They typically are a bit smaller screen size-wise. I mean, actually, it's getting better all the time because they've become thinner and lighter and all of that. But actually, I think the thing is about it, instead of having to also carry an iPad around with you when you would have sort of gone out because you want that something really light and you just want that touchscreen functionality or whatever, you can use it as a, a one device. And so the thing about Transformers is it's not one device. It actually becomes two. Where it falls short, I think Ewan's right, is on the software side. Mm. So here, here's an interesting one, right? Because I am on the Arlanda Express, right, which is the... For those of us that don't know. It's the express train to the airport. Oh, um, in which country? Sweden. Oh, he's good. He's good. Stockholm, well done, specifically. Stockholm, there you go. I'm on the Arlanda Express. I've come off the plane and I think, ah, right, I want to send all the emails I've written and I want to get the emails down, right, and I want to use my Surface. Get the emails down. Are you baffle us with your Oh, come on, comment. come on. I'm just super high level, right, because we're running fast here, right? I open up the Surface and I connect to the Orlando Express Wi-Fi, right? And it is a series of five to 10 minutes worth of messing around, resetting network adapters, blah, 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 blah. Because the thing comes on immediately. That's cool, but it's got no internet connection, right? Because it needs to use Wi-Fi. It doesn't have an embedded SIM. So I then have to connect to the Wi-Fi and then I have to connect to the VPN, which needs proper, proper Wi-Fi. It needs really stable Wi-Fi. And of course, you don't quite get that on the Orlando Express. It's good quality, but not amazing. So the train was pulling in to the station. It's a 20-minute journey, right, to the central station. It was pulling in as I had managed to connect it to my phone hotspot to get onto the VPN, right, which is a super painful process typically, right, because it does take a little while to get that internet connection and then bring down the emails. It's two meg is coming down, you know, super, super, super slow. And then they say, thanks, thanks very much. Can you get off the train now? Oh. So I had 20 minutes where I could have actually done something. What I'm hearing there is that you should have had an embedded SIM to make it a more seamless process. So 
It's yes. interesting that the problem is not the device anymore, it's the connectivity. It's the connectivity. Oh my God, 5G, 5G. No, that's just what you were saying <laughs> last week. Have you tried the, in fact, I know you've tried the iPad Pro. Yes. Because I think you've yes. got one. So, so I've got the iPad Pro and I wrote a note to my colleagues saying, just for clarity, right, for what I need to use this device for in critical mode is, sadly, it's emails. It's quite annoying. It's just emails, right? It's just Outlook. So the Surface is effectively an Outlook device for me, typically. So it was three to four seconds to open the iPad, unlock it into the email app, unlock that, boom, and it's receiving the emails. That's like four seconds. So I'm actually carrying both devices at the minute, which is silly, I know, but I'm just trying to evaluate the experience of both. This is what makes me think, because a long time ago, I, I wrote a blog post which sort of actually told a similar story to the one, mm. the one you did, which was how if I turned on my corporate laptop, then I put in the disk encryption password, and then I booted it up, yep. and then I logged yep. in, and then it loaded up, and then yeah. I fired up, because at that point I had a, a 3G dongle on a stick, so I then yeah. plugged that in and it had to get recognized, and I had to log in and connect. And it was exactly the same. It was in a one-hour train journey, I had about 10 minutes worth of productive time because of all of the messing around and waiting and that sort of stuff Right, right. Um, that, was, that was going on. And I was saying, actually, my iPad was fantastic because it was instant on and it was instant connected and those sorts of things. And so when people say, that the iPad is a viable work tool. I get it because I think mm. it's, it's more immediate. You, know, you can more, more quickly make use of it. But I'm struggling to understand the kind of work that we can do because when I look at the people charged with giving these things out, so you, know, you look at people doling out these devices to people that need to do work, you know, your IT department, the IT mm. department that I was witnessing giving out service books, they're still going back and saying, actually, we use a laptop to do work with apps on it and all this kind of stuff. So we're going to need to give that to the staff. You know, we're not going to give them iPads. We're not going to change the way that we work. And yeah. so we've ended up with this kind of weird hybrid. And I'm not convinced that transformer devices are, are not just the worst of both worlds, which is they look a bit like an iPad, but they lack the simplicity of its software. Yeah. But they also lack the robustness and power of a thin laptop. What do you do personally, though? So uh, when I use the iPad personally, I've got Office on it. I have a, a 365 subscription. I use OneDrive. Blanford, you'll be pleased to hear, oh. right? I, of course, can access Dropbox from the, the Microsoft app, so they're really good. I do prefer Microsoft for Word, and I use Keynote for PowerPoint typically on the iPad. But yeah, it is quite a productive device, but it's not supported yet by many, many organizations, right? I think that's one of the differences where you come from that corporate environment, if that's what's led you into technology versus, I think many of the people listening to this podcast will be kind of, I guess they would have been called prosumers and that's what their experiences derive from. And actually it's the kind of familiarity principle at work here. It's what you're used to. And I think the big problem with the transformer devices is it, it nails the hardware. And actually I stopped carrying an iPad around with me because when I've got the Surface, it works in both those functions. And that's probably represented the kind of uh, things I'm using for, which is basically content consumption. I'm not that interested in the apps because actually I can do that on my phone. I've also got it set up such that it will pick up the hotspot from a phone without me doing anything. So I've kind of got instant ubiquitous connectivity and I can switch over to Wi-Fi. But it's taken me a while to get to that point and to understand all those processes. Whereas if you're handed a device by corporate IT, you kind of expect it to work. And as I say, it's still the main thing is to have it as a laptop. Does it extend into that tablet domain? It does, but Ben's right when he says it's got some of the failings. 
of each mode, but isn't that the compromise that you have to suffer from if you're trying to replace two devices with one? And so it then comes back to the question, is could you have a tablet do everything? And actually the fact that we're all still using laptops, I think kind of answers that question. If you've got a very limited set of functionality, you can absolutely do everything on, on a tablet. But when you get back to the office, Ewan, you're not using your iPad, you're switching to a full machine. And that may be about the software, it may be about the performance, it may be about the speed. Could that change in time? I actually tend to think that you need to sort of go between the two. And the fact that the iPad Pros come along is really interesting because that's much more like a transformer device. In fact, I'm not sure that many people would buy the iPad Pro, not buy the keyboard and just use it as a big tablet device. Because the kind of point of that is it's sort of that halfway space between the the, the MacBook. And, you know, just because it's not bundled with a keyboard, is is that mean it's not a transformer device? That's what gets interesting for me. I think that the transformer devices are too much of a, a fudge. So I've recently changed. I had a MacBook. I've now got the new 13-inch MacBook Pro, and that's a regular workhorse for me. It's oh. now got seven or eight hours of battery life. It's thin and light enough that I could carry it around in lieu of a literally a literal notepad book around the office if I need to. It's robust. It does all the things I need to, and it's got a very rich software ecosystem. I also have an iPad Pro, mm. and it is not a great deal more hassle to carry the laptop around with me but it is awful in an in-transformer device, but it blows the laptop away for genuinely mobile working. If I take the keyboard off and I use my finger or the stylus you know, for input and I want the immediate on and the type of connectivity because I also use a VPN service as well, you and I use email you know, for jumping onto Wi-Fi hotspots and the fact it's all baked into the OS and the profiles mm. and everything, it just works much better. You know, it makes, makes it far more reliable. So it makes me think that actually, well, maybe that is the way of the future, but I still yet can't do effective work in the office, for example, or in a kind of day-to-day around it, because as you say, it's not supported in most enterprise ecosystems. And so I've kind of got this idea that there's this device, it's better, it's quicker, it's lighter, it's cheaper, and yet we're deploying these transformer devices as a compromise, which ultimately will fail because everybody uses them like a laptop because they're basically not unlearning the the behaviours of the past. Are you perhaps not making an unfair comparison in part of that, that you're talking about a very expensive laptop, relatively speaking, and then adding to that another tablet device, and you're comparing that overall experience, which of course is going to be better than just having the one transformer device. I think the other thing here is you have to think about the constraints. And so I don't think anyone would doubt that iOS and the equivalent, you know, very easy to use. But the reason all of that automatic provision of things like profiles and VPNs happen seamlessly is because actually there are a number of constraints. It's a walled garden and those would always offer a a better experience. But usually we've been railing against walled gardens because we want the freedom. And actually those are fine if you can live within that constraint within, I don't want to call it a prison because that's a pejorative term, but that's what people feel like. As soon as you come up against the boundaries, it becomes a really negative experience. And that's ultimately why a lot of people have stuck with a laptop because it gives you basically a greater amount of freedom in terms of the software and the productivity. But I think what is interesting is I can see a future that kind of splits two ways. And actually it's a bit like the old workstation where it was the powerful machine that did everything. And then some people just had the basic terminal sitting on their desk, as Ewan explained it, you know, for Outlook and for email and maybe a mm. browser. And that's fine. And that's probably something you can do with the pure 
tablet devices, but you also then end up with transformer halfway in between and then the all seeing you all dancing laptops. The hardware is one part of that. I actually think the software, you know, bringing it back full circle is the bigger thing. And at the moment, I don't think Apple addresses this very well because you've got iOS and macOS that actually feel quite divorced from each other at times. And while iCloud is used to tie the data together, I think the consistency of the experience leaves a lot to be desired, particularly when you get into applications. Now, Microsoft has undoubted weakness in mobile, but the consistency of the Windows 10 experience is something to be admired. And actually, if you look at some of the underpinnings, the way they brought in the Unix subsystems, for example, for developers, that's actually a pretty big deal. And arguably, they've been doing more innovation on that software front. And the attitude that they have are kind of that consistent Windows experience. And it does reach down into mobile devices with Continuum, but actually, I'm less interested in that here. I'm actually interested in that consistency of experience and that switch between a very obvious touch mode and then a non-touch mode. And they kind of got it wrong with Windows 8. They went all in on touch. And with Windows 10, they came back to that much more hybrid approach. And I actually think that software element is underestimated. And I don't think Microsoft receives enough credit for that. And that reinvention of Windows, actually, it's a really interesting thing to think about. Breaking news, Rafe Blanford does not think Microsoft have had enough credit for something Microsoft have done. What about Nokia? Well, neither of you, I think, are so familiar with that because you're both on Mac computing. That's been your long history of that. I've been using both and I really didn't like Windows 8, but I've actually been quite impressed with Windows 10. Now, there are plenty of glitches and plenty of things to improve, but we're now in a situation where you're getting serious professionals and people who were Mac advocates saying, actually, I've just switched to Windows and it's quite good. And you're seeing Microsoft continue to push the boat with some of the Surface hardware and they've had the Surface Hub come out, which was that big kind of screen that you can fold down and put flat on the desk and then do the circular hub control. And I think that's actually symptomatic of the wider picture. Can I ask you this question? Go on then. For both of you. So Ben, what is your primary machine? Uh, MacBook Pro, 13 inch. Okay. Uh, How much that cost? Some money. 1,700 and something pounds. Ouch. Okay, right. Is that the along to the right and down one? You know, the best one? No, no. That, that's, the, that's, the, that's, that's the pull your finger to the middle of the page and stay at the top one. Really? Yeah. How much? What, what's the top of the range? One of that costs, the 13 inch? Um, more. Uh, oh, I don't, re- I don't recall. The, the, the 256. Oh, so you, could get, you could get the 512 one you with get the what, 16 one. gig or something. And, it, and more, yeah, and, and things. But lots. Yeah, lots. How much RAM has that one got? Uh, I have no idea. It doesn't matter. Yeah, okay, interesting. It's just it's useful to know what Apple value there. And Blanford, what's your primary machine? So I've got a work provided MacBook Pro and I'm using the Surface as my personal device. What I find interesting is I will sometimes use my personal device when traveling for work just because it's the lighter, it's smaller, it's more convenient. And I definitely transition between the two without so really you're thinking lucky about that you it. You can do that though, right? Yeah, How can you I, I use absolutely. a personal device at work? It depends on what I'm doing, frankly. So for email, you've got a VPN. So it's webmail, VPN, and that kind of thing to be able to get into that secure environment. Not everyone would have that choice. Mm. If I could choose one device, it'd be tricky, frankly, because each has its own attributes, which is why I I choose to use two. Let's go back to software, Ewan. Yeah. I know you're testing a bunch, so you're kind of in transition stage. Mm. But I want to go back to this kind of problem I've got at the moment, which is, Laptop software and the work that we do with it, you know, it kind of feels old and established and boring yes. and that kind of stuff. But it works really well. It's very well honed, you know, the keyboard, the input device, the touchpads, all this kind of yeah. stuff. Like 
<laughs> they've probably had the rough edges taken off them now because they've been going for such a long time. And when you start to transition to mobile devices for work, if you don't go all the way to, I'm going to say iPad, but if you don't mm. go all the way to a tablet device, then in the middle, you've got this uncomfortable blend of finger and keyboard and mouse entry, which means that you don't have that tailored experience because the whole point is that when you design software for somebody to use with their finger, the way that you design it and the, the interface is completely different to the precision that you can get with a mouse. And so, again, I kind of don't understand why we've gone halfway and stopped because actually, surely that's the worst of both worlds. I actually locked myself out. I was sitting in a meeting trying to take um, notes with my little pen and this surface in tablet mode. It doesn't work the way I'm expecting it to do, which is it's got a standby on off button, right? Like the iPad. So I put it on and then I kind of swipe up and I have to type in my password, which is annoying. No touch ID. There's no touch ID, right? Okay. I have to, every time I switch the thing on. Okay. And in conversation, you were chatting away and I think, oh, I want to write that down. Okay. Before I can do that, I have to put it on, swipe up. Then it comes the password screen. I, I then have to use the on screen keyboard to type in my password, right? Which is rubbish experience. Bang, 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 bang. And of course, I've got numbers and digits all over the place. You should turn off that key noise. That sounds very annoying. It's really, but that's a, that's a 20 second thing, right? Before I can get into the device and if I've, if I've switched it off. I would also suggest you should perhaps be using the Windows Hello feature, which is built into the Surface tablets by which it's actually doing a iris scan. And yes, but that doesn't work in it. Yeah, I'm with you, right? But okay, can you just imagine that, right? Okay, everyone is sitting, right? I'm, I'm writing my notes and we're doing executive things to each other, right? <laughs> you're all, wow. You're all talking about your executive hair, yeah, right. your executive weekends <laughs> with your executive yeah. children. People have notepads, some people have tablets or whatever. And, you know, Blanford, you're right, but I need to then stop everything and <laughs> hold up the thing in front of me, right, so it can take a picture of me and then let me in. Cool, but that breaks the flow a little bit, right? <laughs> yes, holding a tablet six inches from the end of your nose breaks your conversation. Somewhat. Excuse me, I'm just, yeah, yeah, right. That does not work very well. And I'm, I'm holding it here and yeah, yeah, I mean, is, uh, it is silly. Yeah, I'll agree with you. Biometrics on the fingerprint for those devices is much more convenient. Oh, there is a fingerprint on the keyboard, but I wasn't, you know, there's a fingerprint but, yeah, thing on the, exactly. but not on the, um, yeah. Anyway, what I find interesting to your, your point on uh, software, Ben, is on the iPad, I can get into the work environment, right? So most enterprises have some kind of secure email facility, right? So if you want to use an iPad or iOS, you have to use equivalent to good or those kind of VPN email apps, standalone email apps and services. I wonder, why doesn't that exist on your laptop, on a standard laptop? Because it's really nice, the experience on an iPad or a phone, where I can get into the corporate environment safely and reasonably, you know, pretty securely that way, and everyone's happy and the security guys are happy. But on any desktop machine, you then have to go through a whole heck of a lot of pain to get that same facility. This is back to where I think you should be one or the other then. Yeah. Because the way that people solve those problems with laptops is webmail, which yep. requires you to have a good, consistent connection all the time, yep. or the kind of services that you and I were using in our last employer, you know, remote desktop. Yes. Where the rack is connecting to a computer in a data center and using a, right. using a, a desktop there. And those things are tailored to a device which is static, consistently connected, you know, to a high-speed network, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why I think that you should be one or the other, because as soon as you start to try and use those services 
on a transformer device, which is yeah. going on and off very, very frequently, having timeouts, uh, having inconsistent connection to a network, you know, that service degrades or just doesn't work at all, which mm. is why then when you move onto a tablet, you know, back to my point, the apps are designed for the context it's being used in. So provide the container on the device, which mm. means it's resilient to connection failures and going on and off and those sorts of things. And now with Touch ID, one of the things, one of the reasons that Touch ID is such a success as it is, and it obviously is on Android devices as well, is that it means that that authentication can be done in a second, and you no longer yes. have to, you know, put in a password to access all those containers. So let's look forward a little bit now, because I mean, I'm intrigued. Well, I've got a question for you as well. I'll go on then. Well, let's do your question first. Maybe, but yeah, before we go forward, my question is this: Archie, my eldest son. He's been playing lots of iPad games. One of them is Jurassic Park Lego. He's loving it. It's obsessing him. He's really enjoying it. And we're carefully limiting the amount of time he's, he's playing with it. So he's not getting too into it. But he's discovered, thanks to Amazon, that there are videos on YouTube and on Amazon of people playing the game, like professional gamers who play the game and they talk through how you do it. And he loves that. And he's really, he's now sitting with one of our MacBook Pros and he'll sit and stare at that for minutes and sometimes hours if we don't check him, you know, just watching repeatedly the gameplay and learning how to do it and so on. So he wants a laptop. And actually, I think it's probably we're moving to a point whereby I would like to ha have him familiar with a laptop environment. And he, he does ICT at school, but he needs a laptop, a managed laptop. Um, he's seven. So I don't want him having full access to the internet and so on and so on and so on. And we're carefully monitoring it, but, you know, he's hogging the machine. So we think it's maybe you should get one for him. He can start learning to use the keyboard more and so on and so on. What do we buy? So I'm not quite sure. I, I, I was in El Giganten, PC world equivalent, right? I'm looking up and down the various different PCs and I'm torn. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at the i7 because I just don't like buying a 200 pound laptop. So it's just, first, you know, first of all, what, let me what do I you. do? Well, but when a few Christmases ago, we did an episode about presents. Yes. And I described buying a Samsung Android tablet for yes. a niece in our family. And you berated me correctly. Yeah. Correctly. Thank out. you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. The tablet of disappointment, I think it was. The tablet of disappointment. Yes. Yeah. You know, kind of, it, it lasted only slightly longer than the turkey leftovers. And yes. you know, now she has an iPad, yeah. which you know, just works better, but also you know, doesn't break and mm. it still charges up and, and so on and so forth. So why would you consider even buying him? you know, kind of a, a, a 200 euro or low end or, or, or Okay, yeah, because I was looking at eight or nine or a thousand euro laptops. Yeah, which, which is a different, which is... Which is, which is then know, a bit silly in that, you know, what, he doesn't scale. need it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So my point is that your son and indeed my boy and, you know, children sort of of their, of their age now are growing up where their first experience, the most convenient one, the one we have lying around the house of the internet and things like that is a tablet. Yeah. Like, you know, my son is two. He'll pick up the tablet and he will find YouTube kids and he can watch you know, Peppa Pig and, and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's controlled, but he's very familiar and he's able to use it. He can't, you know, <laughs> he, can't, he can't manage his own bladder, but he can use an iPad. You Isn't know? that amazing? Yeah. Obviously, there's things we want to do to make sure that his use of it is appropriate. But my point is that it's portable, it's flexible, it's simple to use, it's intuitive, and that's the beginning of his experience. As kids get to your son's age, we start to say, oh, you're going to start to do real, you're going to start yeah, to do proper real computers. work, proper computers. So I'm going to need to buy you a proper computer so you're familiar with it. 
I'm just not sure that that investment is going to be worthwhile because by the okay, time Okay, what would you re- do then? Well, I think I would leave him with a tablet because I think by the time he reaches the workplace, we would have solved this and actually... 10 years. Exactly. It'll be solved long before he reaches the workforce. Portable devices will be tailored and designed specifically to be portable so that they're absolutely optimised for that task in the way that laptops have become... I don't know. Isn't it bad that he, he needs to have keyboard skills? Does he not? But you Does can, he not need to have mouse skills? Keyboard and interaction skills are not unique to a laptop. You know, you need to be able or to... Or a computer or, yeah. You can, you can type on a, on a screen, on a, on a tablet if you need to. What do you think, Blanford? I think for all of us, our experiences of computing devices and the interface and the inputs we're used to are basically set by our experiences. And that's why we're probably biased towards laptops, where you're talking about a generation that really is touch first in a way that I think it's difficult for us to conceive of. And going back to what you, you, know, you were talking about, actually, it's really a choice of which pain point you have. Every device has an inherent compromise in it. And we talked about tablets and those ones there, and actually particularly around large amounts of text entry, you know, getting an external keyboard rather than having to do it on the screen. And there's been various attempts to do that differently, whether that's with projected keyboards or the clip-on style. On laptops, you know, actually it appears for us the constraints are around the ease of setup and use of software. People have to make a choice about what is the thing that causes them most pain and get rid of that. I think the reason transformer devices have become so popular is because a lot of that was about wanting the degree of portability, but also wanting the power that they got inherently from a laptop. But if we turn that around, I, th- I think you're right. Actually, things will change in the next few years. And could that be around you know, things with the smartphone becoming the brains and actually various screens, be they a transformer or a laptop, become kind of dumb concepts? And HP's had their Elite X3 concepts around that. We've seen plenty of them. There's been various reasons it hasn't worked in the past, but equally well, you'd see something a bit more outlandish and we're seeing augmented reality come in and be that magic leap or HoloLens or whatever you choose it to be. If you talk to those companies, they say there won't be monitors and devices on people's desks in 10 years' time. They'll all be replaced by some kind of headset. And although that seems a bit far-fetched, I think it's a possibility we have to be open to. And you you see the interactions like voice coming in and that's being added to desktops and laptops, Siri in the most recent Mac OS release and elsewhere. And Dictation's had a bad name in the past, but actually try it out now. It worked pretty well. Voice, gestures, you know, what else? So I think we shouldn't be married to our experiences of the past because they dictate our choices and what we think about things. And actually for the next generation, we probably just need to be a little bit more open-minded perhaps. Dear Rafe. Yes, Ewan. Rafe, dear. Oh, thank you, Ewan. Darling Rafe, what should I do now? So I have a son, well, two sons, right? But I have a son in particular that... I was going to remind you about the other one. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) We are feeling that he should have access and be aware of how these devices work. And he is using my wife's laptop a lot now. So what do we do? I would look at the things that he's doing on that laptop and I would suspect and suggest that maybe something like a Chromebook would be an interesting choice because it's a relatively budget option it's a controlled environment, but it gives you that form factor experience, which seems to be the thing that you're seeking to give him. Mm, and, you know, good feedback, good idea. Browser, if you want to go on something a bit more, then there are low-end budget laptops if that's what you're about. But I'd actually be with Ben in terms of a personal computing device. I think tablets are quite hard to beat. 
especially when you can give them this transformer-like ability by adding on a clip-on keyboard with a case or something like that. Or a mouse. He doesn't have any mouse skills. Mice aren't things anymore. Touchpads. Yeah. Like, this is my whole point. It's all, well, it's, okay, he, hasn't, he doesn't really have touchpads. You know, well, he does a little bit, but you know, this is like, and still and typing. You still have to type, right? You're still going to have to type for the next X years. So, I mean, that's why I would go for that form factor recommendation for something like a Chromebook. But Yeah, like a 150 quid Chromebook or something. It's easy to say they're going to be requirements, but go back 15 years and if you'd said your primary computing device is going to be something which is a slab of glass that sits in your hand and you interact with it purely through touch and maybe a bit of voice, you know, you'd have gone, oh my, and no one's ready for that. So actually, you know, I think you approach the world as it appears to you at the time. Actually, it's why younger people always have something of an advantage because they're more familiar with the newly emergent technology because that's the thing they try and they grow up with. And so we talk about mobile natives or you know, preceded by digital natives. I think actually, especially given the genetic heritage they have, your sons are going to be absolutely fine at adopting new technology. And what you should probably be well, worrying about there. is how you're going to adopt it because as you get older, you'll become less flexible, more set in your ways. I think that's already apparent when we look at someone like Ben, who isn't able to adapt to the world of Transformers and instead is worrying about using his laptop and sees quite set in his ways. And so I have no concern yeah. about your sons, but I do worry about Ben's future. Wow, zing. I think kind of going back to the beginnings of this episode, the thing that I was intrigued about was having a mobile device I loved that was faster, better, more optimized more flexible, allowed me to work in ways I wanted to, but feeling constrained about being able to use it because it just wasn't supported in the workplace. And then watching money and time and effort that could be spent on actually genuinely making the workforce mobile, genuinely taking the next step, taking all of these very faltering intermediate steps and feeling, you know, sort of from a work perspective to say, no, stop it. You know, if you're going to give people mobile devices, give them a truly mobile device so that you could have the benefits with that. And I don't think the things that you need to learn about using a transformer device are new digital Mm. skills. It's how to deal with a very complicated set of compromises that require you to understand all of the background of what limitations of a tablet currently is and all the limitations of a laptop and apply those together. Where actually, if you simply take a large iPad, and I mean the 12.9 for me is a bit big, but there's rumours of a 10-inch iPad. That's a screen that's as big as any iPad, an operating system that is light and has you know, the battery that will allow you to do proper work with it, and an ecosystem which demonstrably can do work. What you need to do is just invest in you know, the software and the services to allow that to happen. And mm-hmm. then when you go back and so let's take what we're doing now, you know, the business of doing something niche or complicated, so recording audio or something like that, you know, yes, you can crowbar it into an iPad at the moment, but it's not an easy thing to do. You go back and you do your specialist task on your higher power computer, but it's not the thing that you need to carry around with you all the time. It's for those niche tasks. You have it in the home, something like but that. But is that not the power of mobile? It's been a democratizing influence for computing in general, because now everyone's got a computer in their pocket in the form of a smartphone. And tablets have the ability to mobilize the workforce and give that bigger screen that actually means less constraints. But that's kind of what I was getting at with the pain point argument. You actually have to choose what your pain point is. And you could have this 
same argument around you can do all your work on your smartphone and you could just connect it to a dumb monitor to have a big screen version when you want to. And I do agree that I feel that Transformers are something of a hybrid choice right now. Too much pain. Can I contradict you? I was right with you. So I I regularly, and I don't know you and if you see this, I regularly Mm. see people in meetings now writing their meeting notes or on their phone or walking around the office, sending Mm. or, or reading emails that have been written on people's phone because the office environment or the workplace doesn't promote using tablets and we want to be really mobile. Yeah. So we're doing it on the device, as says, the device you have present. So it's, it's done there. But the point is that the reason you can do that is the screen, the application, the keyboard entry has been tailored for that specific device. And as soon as you plug that into a dock and you make that a big screen experience, you're having the same set of compromises as a, as a transformer, which is, your crowbarring software, which is designed for finger-touch input on a seven-inch screen, up to a monitor. And that's, I think, the thing that you need to fix. And that's where you need the innovation. It's what Microsoft has been trying to do with its Windows 10 experience. And I think there's a long way to go. But it's the convenience, then, of having a single device. I think that's pretty clear from having a mobile device in your pocket. And yet, you choose what that pain point is. You choose where that compromise is. And For a lot of people, it will come down to a cost thing about having a single device. And actually, what's interesting now is there are a lot of people that are mobile only in their personal device. If you look at the numbers from someone like Facebook, for example, 25% will only ever access Facebook through a mobile device. In fact, I think it's a lot more than that. Banks are the same. You know, they never see the customers on web. They only ever see them through the app. I think that's going to become increasingly common. And, And that's the thing that's interesting about mobile for me is that scale and reach. But if you're trying to do that more complicated thing, the devices that have fewer constraints come to the fore. And that's why, you know, laptops still remain a big thing. But actually, if you look at the number of devices in terms of computing out there, laptop sales have been relatively steady. And then tablets, you know, went up, but actually started dying away again. And so it's why on this podcast, we actually take a mobile centric view of the world, because actually that's still the most important thing. Will there be new ways of doing computing? Yeah, I I have no doubt. Is this debate between transformer and tablet and laptop maybe a bit misleading? Yes, because actually, essentially, those are all quite similar computing experiences. Big screen, some kind of input. Actually, the software is the differentiator there for me between those two. That's what changes the thing. And that's what you're choosing your compromise or your pain point on. So, dear Ben, dear Blunford, what do I do? I think I've already answered this question once, you Ewan. Okay, so your Chromebook, you say Chromebook. Uh, yeah. uh, ben, what do you think? iPad. He's got one. He's got an iPad. What, are you suggesting I buy him a keyboard for the iPad? I suggest he doesn't need physical keyboard skills. Get him to type on the iPad. Uh, see, I, I don't know. If he is going to need to use a keyboard in the short term, right? Okay, I'd be really interested to hear what listeners are doing. Because yeah. it's a it's a very interesting point. I understand the point you're making. I skate to where the puck is going to be. And my point my point throughout the whole episode is that this enthusiasm about these intermediate devices, trying to sort of say that that is the destination, is a miss. Like tablets are ultimately where portable computing is going. There'll still be desktop. There'll still be keyboards. I accept that. But laptops are portable computers primarily. Oh, okay, right, right. I'll get, shall I get yeah. him a desktop then? Well, it depends what he needs to do. What do you think, right? That's, that's, it's intellectually, what do you think? As a parent and a possible parent, Humphrey, you know, what do you think? 
if you're trying to anticipate what is he going to encounter in the future and help him sort of be one step mm. ahead of that, I would say that portable computing is going to end up looking like a tablet. I yeah. am personally frustrated at this stage about not being able to get there. I'm intrigued by people who are making it work. I was listening to a podcast the other day with people that have two iPads so that they can multitask. See, that, that actually is what I think Archie needs. He, he wants one to play the game, this Lego Jurassic Park game, and then the other to watch the YouTube. Get two iPads in. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, you're right, Ben, because you're basically saying that the, the Transformer device is are a hybrid of the last generation and therefore probably not representative of where we're going. But I would say I'm all behind the kind of this idea that tablets, in terms of the hardware, the right form factor. But actually, it comes back to the, you know, I think adding a keyboard on it is pretty much irrelevant. And actually, if you look at most of the modern laptops, actually, they are basically just tablets with a keyboard attached. And the non-touchscreen touchscreen thing is interesting. The big difference is in the software. Your manifesto seems to be for a kind of a more walled garden or more constrained approach on software because that makes things simpler, therefore easier to use, and therefore less can go wrong. Is that what you're getting at? I'm not advocating for walled garden as an end in its own right. What I'm saying is meet the user's need, which is this device must be simple, easy on, reliable, because we've moved from sit down to clipboard mode in the way that we interact with these devices. And therefore, you need to be able to switch on and off very frequently, and you need to be able to support the user in the lift and on the underground train as much as you would at a desk with high-speed Wi-Fi. I like clipboard. That's a nice term, that. If we add to that, actually, what you're kind of getting at is we're talking about computing becoming a much more common task. I mean, PCs were once the provenance of sort of the technical types. And actually now, if you regard, quite rightly, computing becomes an everyday thing that everyone needs to do, actually the audience that you're addressing has fundamentally changed because you're now looking at a scale that didn't happen before. and therefore those compromises, those pain points I talked about, it's actually become about ease of use and making sure things don't go wrong. When you layer that over with a mobile workforce and this idea that you work everywhere, not just in the office environment, absolutely. I don't want to call it a walled garden because I think that's misleading, but actually thinking about simplicity, thinking about ease of use, the user-centric design philosophy absolutely applies to the future of computing because you know, that's where the majority is. And it's almost as simple as that. Yeah, I'm just anxious to get over this hump in the road. We're almost applying the old generation of thinking to this new way of working or this new thing that we have to get used to. Yeah, I love my iPad and I love my MacBook Pro and I use my MacBook Pro way, way more. But my point is that that's not the future. That's the constraints of, of where we're at at the moment. And it doesn't feel like I would have a better experience for getting a slightly more... Yeah tablet-looking laptop. I'm intrigued because I think that these devices are massively neglected. We go on about smartphones and pocket-sized devices all the time, but if you think about it, I actually probably spend as many hours attached to a laptop or a tablet doing work as I do to a smartphone. Yes. And I think I want to tell the other part of this story, the place where you know the long periods of attention, the hard work, the display of more data, the stuff that can't get done on a phone. And it feels to me like where we're at at the moment is possibly you know, kind of a, yeah. bit of a bit of a diversion, you know, these, these transformer devices. If we've seen smartphones kind of transform consumer behavior and put a phone in everyone's pocket, that's still a bigger scale. And that, but you, know, you look at the world of work, typically that does sort of lag behind consumers and it feels like it's ripe for revolution. 
And I do agree that that kind of tablet form factor, or that even if it's not the form factor, the philosophy that we've been talking about, and actually I think there's every chance that new types of devices could emerge, just as the smartphone was not unexpected because you could see the signs of it, but even now there are other signs in the office environment. And we see kind of big collaborative working spaces with you know, table-type computers or in meeting rooms, you know, interactive whiteboards. And actually that's a good signal. You look at education when we were all at school, it was basically whiteboards or blackboards. And now every computer has an interactive screen of some kind. So that kind of change can absolutely happen. But those tenants around simplicity and around getting things done are probably the things that are vital here. So McLeod, you cancelling your Surface Pilot? Uh, no, no. <laughs> it's important that we evaluate all sorts of different devices. We're over time. I'll end yeah. this episode with a challenge. All right. Um, I want you for a reasonable amount of time, so I'll accept days, but you know, a reasonable amount of time to do more tablet mode than laptop mode in your pilot. I want you to use the device as a true mobile device, not on a solid surface sat down at a desk. Because if you can't do that, if it doesn't allow you to be mm. less constrained doesn't require you to sit down near a power adapter and have a nice solid desk and a comfy ergonomic chair. It doesn't allow you to change the way you work. You might as well just go and buy some more laptops because you're not actually changing anything. You're just a slightly right. novel form factor. No, that's, that's good. I, I'm, I was about to say, no, that'll never work, but let me try it. Let me try it because it is, it's infuriating having to put the password in all the flipping time when it's in tablet mode. Yeah. It's almost unusable, actually. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't want to prejudge it. Maybe you can do it. But if you, can't, it. if you can't, go and buy a £600 MacBook Air, which is the same weights, the same dimensions, a reasonably similar cost, and you know, provides a full laptop experience. Interesting. Okay, and can I also ask for people's views on what you should do with a child who, what well, I think, thought they should have a laptop or a computer or something, but you guys are saying don't teach them the old stuff which is interesting. I do like Rafe's suggestion of a the, the cheapest new Chromebook, £149. It's too late in the podcast to start telling you what I think about £149 Chromebooks. <laughs> I used to have one. You did. I sold it. Yeah, anyway, go on. Sold it or threw it out of a window in anger? I sold it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to marketaudiowrangler.co.uk for editing this week's episode. Thank you to our friends at Digital SLBI for hosting us and providing recording facilities. We will be back next week. If you've got any views on Ewan's question, if you want to let us know how you are doing your mobile working work, then please do let us know. We're at 361podcast on Twitter. You can find us 361podcast.com where there's a form you can email us privately or there's links to all our social accounts. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn if you'd like to use those as well. And you can follow us on Instagram where we will occasionally post pictures of the things, what we are doing. Duck houses. Duck houses and... Crumbled uh, eggs. Goose scrambled eggs, executive hair, new laptops, uh, failed transformer devices. And a future humiliating picture of Ben just to even things up a little bit. I've got off very lightly off this one, actually, I have to say, yes. Thank you to everyone who's supporting us via Patreon. They have not been providing a brilliant service recently, and I know that some people got duff VAT receipts if you are located inside the EU. They assure me that they've resolved that situation. I shall be doing some follow-up on all things funding and donations wise in a later episode so if you've got any opinions on that let us know otherwise apologies for the poor experience in the meantime and uh, we are thinking about ways of improving it anyway so thank you for listening and we will be back next week bye bye